Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. I'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. Tonight you get Mike and Mike uh, in the dirty black summer of 2023. It is is almost my my big 5-0, Mike Hill. Almost. Dude, time the Avenger. Comes for us all. (laughs) Comes for us all, bro. It comes for us all. Yeah, I am... Five days away from uh, being 50. I don't feel a day over 45. Um, But you know what? Like music, horror keeps me young, Mike Hill. Horror keeps me young. What do you think? I think uh, that's probably a good angle to have in the world because I feel like music and horror and, you know, martial arts keep me young too, man. I Mm -hmm. feel real good these days. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, had a fun show the other night, listeners, in Brooklyn um, at Gold Sounds uh, in honor of, of my 50th birthday, if, if there is any honor in being 50. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, and Human had a great time. And uh, if anyone listening was there, thank you very much for coming on out. I, uh, I was unable to attend that night, Mike. And um, I understand. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, there was there's some uh, previous uh, double bookings going on with my lady that night. So um, understood. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, all good, man. Um, you've seen us before yeah. and you'll you'll see us again. Yeah. It's OK. I'll be at the next one. We've played exactly. together. We've actually played shows together. Yes, we have. Yeah. We have. Um, those are fun shows. Maybe we'll, maybe it'll happen again. Who knows? I would you know? bet, I would bet on that happening again. I sure. would bet on it happening again. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, it is hot as hell in in New York, New Jersey area. Listeners, hopefully you are keeping cool in the summer of 2023. So far, I'm having a, a good summer. I know you are as well, Mike. Life is good, man. I um. I got to say, man, I have nothing to complain about these days. Uh, things are great in my life. And um, for the first time in many years, uh, very optimistic about the future. I, I am so happy to hear that because a happy mic makes for a happy necromaniac spot. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Man, absolutely. That's a happy mic, happy life. Yeah. And you can say that about me as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know. It's funny, um, you know, before we do our our usual spiel, tonight we've got a movie that would probably be more suited for November, December. But just to put put some air conditioning in this hot summer of 2023, we have plopped tonight's movie. Uh, into the repertoire, huh? And also, this one comes out of uh, out of our voicemails too. This is the, yes, one, it one does. Of, one of the movies that was recommended to us, and uh, you know, we're going to try to maybe we should try to do like one or two a month out of the recommendations because people have been really coming across with cool ideas for movies to do. Yeah, and and we actually listen to you guys. We listen to the ideas, and lo and behold, uh, they become episodes. So how about that? Uh, but before we go any further, we are part of a wonderful group of fellas known as the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse uh which basically means nearly every day of the week you get a really cool podcast to listen to right mike that is 100 percent correct and it's almost like the chowder society in the movie that we're uh yeah <laughs> we're about to talk the about chowder society not as a tough not as butcher sounding name as the horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse though i must say not not that butch no, you know no definitely no, not no yeah but uh on monday who do we have michael 
Starting the week off, we have Horror Wolf 666 brought to you by Brandon Legion. That's right. Uh, on Tuesday, into the Necrosphere with Jackie Smith. Uh, guess what, listeners? Guess what was recently taped? The death metal, 90s death metal, 666. That's right. Myself, Mr. Hill, and uh, the illustrious host of that podcast, Mr. Jackie Smith, ran down our top six 90s death metal LPs. That's going to be coming your way soon, right, Mike? It was a blast, man. I had a great time. Um, you know, I kind of had very vanilla flavored uh, selections on this one, but I mean, I, you got to be honest with what you think is the best, you know? It's honestly, it, it wasn't so much best and whatever and prim and proper. It was more, it was, it was a favorites. It was a yeah. favorites of the top six favorites of the nineties, pretty much. And it was interesting. Me, me and Jackie butted heads, not once, but twice, you won't consider <laughs> twice. So but it was a, a friendly headbutt. There was no fights. There was no bloodshed. There was no throwdown. But you'll hear it uh, when you hear it because uh, it was it was interesting. Um, so yeah, a little, little sneak preview for you. On Wednesday, <laughs> uh, another horseman. You hear him tonight. It's the Everything Went Black podcast, Michael. That's right. That's uh, where I started into this illustrious career of uh, talking into a microphone on a regular basis. And uh, right. it's been going on for many years. And Mike has made many appearances on there as well as a guest. I sure have, yeah. uh, including the Maiden Voyage. That's right. Um, on Thursday, while you're listening to it right now, it's the Necromaniacs podcast coming to you every Thursday, also known as the greatest horror podcast in the world. Uh, on Friday, we have Break the Apocalypse with my brother John draper um while the name change has not happened the content change has begun michael they now pretty much only talk about media entertainment blu-rays movies television streaming etc so they have moved away from politics and social issues how about that that's probably in this climate probably a good move actually <laughs> yes yes well they did some research on the, their team their crack team did some research, and uh, they, they made a, an interesting and I think good decision to just be a podcast that kind of talks about all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it in some ways, it is like a nice companion to what we do here. Uh, in Necromaniacs, we pick a soul film and discuss it, and then from time to time go off on tangents about, you know, maybe the state of horror or what we're watching, obviously, and what's going on. But they kind of do like this whole kind of smorgasbord of like, you know, even like box office numbers and all that kind of stuff now. So it's it's really kind of fun. Check it out. Break the Apocalypse. And that is on Friday. What about Sunday, Michael? Sunday is the Soul Knox podcast brought to you by Master Carl Hikara. And it's uh, if you're interested in darkness, the occult, the esoteric, that's your show. And uh, check it out on Sunday. And uh, yeah, and that's the entire week, man. You pretty much that's got, it. got stuff coming at you every week, every day of the week, except for Saturday, that is. Yes, those are your horsemen of the podcast apocalypse. Um, I got to say, I checked out the Sinister episode with you and Jeff. I like Sinister. I saw it, uh, I don't know, I forget how many years ago. But the, the the one scene that always stood out with me was that one, I think, where he's watching that footage and there's that, like, was it like a, like a mass suicide kind of scene? Yeah. Oh, man. 
creepy as hell. Uh, yeah, I, I never saw Sinister Two though. Never no, saw no. Jeff Jeff watched it. He said it wasn't very mm -hmm. good. I didn't even know mm -hmm. there was a Sinister Two until he mentioned it to me. <laughs> exactly, but uh, yeah, that was a cool episode. Um, but tonight, children. Well, let's get to our voicemails first. Oh, that's right. How could I forget the voice? Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, shame on me. Mike, what is that phone number? The number is 908-913-0782. Once again, 908-913-0782. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, the Necrophone. And if you want to give mm -hmm. us a shout, tell us what you think of the show. And, you know, lately we've been asking for a lot of recommendations and stuff to do. And, you know, a lot of these are going to be turning into, uh, you know, shows like tonight. Tonight is straight from the, from the uh, voicemails. That's right. Um, we have one uh, longtime listener, first time caller, and one, uh, you know, I guess many time caller. We could say. I would say Mike is a regular. Regular caller. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Better so, phrasing than many time caller. Oh, yeah. Forgive my brain fart. Definitely. And, and I'm glad that, you know, this is Mike. So check it out. Yes. Yo, my necro brethren. Thursday, I'm trying to get back into the swing of shit here where I listen to the episode in the morning and then I call you on my lunch break. It's Mike from Telford here. Uh, really enjoyed the episode today. I'm not seeing Sinister, and I believe that I'm going to do that. I might even do it tonight. Talk my uh, lady into it. We'll check it out. You guys got me interested in it. So, uh, got a recommendation, although I think you probably have enough of them already, especially for my dumb ass. I watched a movie last night for the second time called Grave of the Vampire. Uh, it's a 70s, early 70s movie. Uh, Michael Pataki is like the main uh, vampire in it. He's from uh, God Told Me To and uh, a bunch of other shit. Fantastic performance by him in it. It's a really atmospheric movie. There's some plot holes in it. It's early 70s. Some of it doesn't make sense, but the atmosphere is fucking fantastic. And uh, William Smith is in it. And I know you boys know William Smith, but if you don't, well, there's no way that you don't. But, uh, I mean, he was probably in every fucking movie, not every movie, every TV show that was on when we were growing up. But uh, And he plays Conan's dad in uh, Conan the Barbarian amongst the fucking you know, hundreds of roles. But he's fantastic in the movie, too. So if you haven't seen it, Grave of the Vampire, fucking check it out. And uh, look forward to next Thursday. And uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. Later. I'm glad to see that Mike's doing well, man. I, he was, I was worried about him. You know, he was, he was sick and uh, mm, you know, yeah. you know, now he seems to be on the road to recovery and that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So have you seen that movie Grave of the Vampire? I haven't seen that one. I have not. I've heard the name though. Um, it definitely sounds like one of those low budget jammies from the seventies. Um, but I, I would like to check it out. I mean, there's look, I try to, watch as much of like the 70s to early 80s stuff as i can but the good thing about this whole genre is that there's always something new there's always something you haven't seen and this is one of them yeah definitely i want to look this one up too and you know that that's in, we both share the opinion that the 70s was like a very important era in all, oh, all of film actually specifically horror like wall to wall yeah um I have the controversial opinion that it is horror's greatest decade, but uh, that is perhaps for another episode in itself, Michael. Yeah. Hmm. Next up, we got Andrew, first-time caller, long-time listener. So here's Andrew. All right. Hey, Necromaniac. Uh, 
my name is Andrew. Um, Long-time listener, first-time caller here. I've uh, been on board since the um, show came back a couple years back. This is one of my big uh, helps through the pandemic, so appreciate everything you all been doing. Calling live from my uh, normal weekly routine of walking my dogs and listening to the show. Hopefully there's not too much wind going on. Um, just wanted to shout out all three of you and thank you for everything you do for uh, – you know, showing folks like me who liked horror but didn't know some of the more obscure titles and stuff to check out. Uh, found you guys via Jeff, huge ISIS fan. Um, fan of all three of y'all's music, actually. Do uh, playing a hardcore band myself. But um, for a movie to check out, I recommend uh, a mid-2000s Korean film called The Wailing. Um, it has been available on and off of Shutter and on, of, on and off of Amazon Prime for three. Not entirely sure current status, but uh, one of the more interesting watches that I've seen as far as like a slow burn, uh, kind of dialogue heavy friendly, a la Mike's preference. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. Love to hear it covered on an episode sometimes. And uh, stay sick, y'all. Thanks. Have you seen The Wailing, Mike? Uh, I know about it. I think it's one of those real fucked up ones. Actually, I've heard very good. Th I've yeah. heard good things about it over the, the, the years. I back it completely. I saw this uh, mm. a while ago, and maybe I'll revisit it uh, as you know, since uh, Andrew brought it up. And yes, it is very much along the lines of the kind of thing I enjoy. It's like this very dialogue-heavy, brooding, atmospheric kind of slow burn. Excellent film. Okay, so it's not. Like one of the more bloodier ones. No. I guess I'm thinking of something else. No, okay. No, it, yeah, this is more of like uh, you know, kind of like a, a lot of dialogue, like very, very slow kind of film. It's, it's definitely awesome. And I, it, like he mentioned that it's on and off Shutter, and I still, I don't know if it's actually still on Shutter, but that's where I watched it. Okay, I like that title a lot. Yeah. That's a cool title. Well, um, so as I said before, I forgot the phone calls, listeners. Uh, we're taking a trip to the very early 80s tonight, 1981, and of course, I'm talking about Ghost Story. Uh, not to be confused with the Ghost Story of the Modern Era, right? Same name. That's right. There, there's, uh, there's two of these films. We're talking about the 1981 film based on the Peter Straub novel, Ghost Story. That's right. Uh, this is directed by John Irvin who is still with us at uh, 83 years of age. Uh, John Irvin directed some cool films like Raw Deal, Mike Hill. Yep. Mm, that movie fucking rules. I saw that in a the theater as a kid. Love that movie. Hamburger Hill. Um, movie called Dogs of War from back in night, like the movie prior to this one, which was his film debut. It's That's one of those movies that's kind of eluded me. Like I've heard of it and I've heard kind of good things about it but I've never seen it. Uh, it has Christopher Walken and Tom Berenger in it. Have you seen Dogs of War? I've seen all three of those films that you mentioned. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Dogs of War is something I watched with my dad like years ago mm. when I was a kid. And uh, and of course, uh, you know, Raw Deal is an early uh, Schwarzenegger film. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, very, very cool movie. Very vibey. 
uh, I mean, it, it set, I believe it was in uh, November or December of, of 1979, takes place uh, in a town called Milburn in New England. Um, interesting thing about this movie, it is largely casted by senior citizens. Correct, Michael? It's a powerful cast, too, man. I mean, oh, yeah. You got, this is like some straight pro old school actors in this. Mm -hmm. So let, let's run down who's actually in this movie. Yes, let's. Yeah. We have Fred Astaire as Ricky Hawthorne. Uh, another classic actor, Melvin Douglas as Dr. John Jaffrey. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. as Edward Charles Wanderley. And the ever awesome John Houseman as Sears James. And this movie has... Uh, from <laughs> what do you call it? Body movie double. Movie recovered just weeks ago. <laughs> Body double. Uh, young Bill Maher himself, Craig Wasson, <laughs> playing a dual role as both Don and David Wanderlei, and along with Patricia Neal as Stella Hawthorne, and Alice Krieg as another dual role as Eva Galley and Anna Mobley. Um, I recognized her kind of straight away. She's been in a ton of shit, right? Yeah, she's been in a lot of films. Um, Star Trek Voyager, yeah. like, and I think just some other stuff from like the 80s I just remember her from. She's in that movie Barfly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. And, oh, I know what I remember her from. She's in Sleepwalkers from 1992. That that horror movie that was kind of a big bomb. Right. Um, that Mick Garris directed, our pal Mick Garris, uh, from the Stephen King adaptation, by the way. Yes. Uh, Sleepwalkers. Uh, this movie did not do very well, folks. And again, a part of the more not as not as good early '90s horror output, huh? Yeah, that one was definitely uh, a little bit of a disappointment. Um, Mick Garris talks about that film a lot on his podcast. Mm. So yeah, I may want to see that again, though. I don't know why. Just part of me wants to reevaluate a bunch of very early 90s horror to see if it is as bad as I remember it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the 90s, by and large, was a weak uh, decade, or at least the early part of the decade, as far as American horror goes, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, we've definitely said this before. I mean, it's like you have Silence of the Lambs in 91 and it wins an Oscar and then it like curses horror for like eight, nine years. <laughs> well, they didn't even want to call that a horror movie. Right. Like there are those, right. like a drama or like some you know, like a thriller or some shit like that, you know. And then, you know, they literally remove the word horror from horror books. And it's just a very strange time. Uh, things bounce back, of course, with Scream. But again, it's just a weird ass time for horror in the 90s. But anyway. We, we digress. We're going to talk about this very cool early 80s film ghost story. The plot is, like you said, we you mentioned this uh, earlier, is that this is like a very straightforward plot, very straightforward ghost story. However, it's not about the plot. It's about the vibe and the atmosphere and just the incredible acting by that goes on during this film. You know yeah, I mean? and honestly, dude, this I think the special effects are fucking cool as shit for 1981, though. Yes, excellent special effects, and just the overall feel of this movie is, uh, as Jackie Smith refers to things, as top-notch, in my opinion. It is top-notch. It is top-notch. Uh, release date, December 18th, 1981. Runtime of 110 minutes. 
Uh, the budget, $13.5 million. It made $23.4 million. Didn't set the world on fire. Kind of had mixed reviews, but like many things, as years pass, has been reevaluated as as a more solid horror film, Mike. Yeah, people speak, uh, they speak highly of this in retrospect. You know, like there's a bunch of these, um, I think it's uh, In Search of Darkness. You know, there's like three of them now. Mm. They talk about this film and they, they, they give it a lot of praise, actually. Well, Ebert liked this film, Roger Ebert. He actually thought it was better than Straub's novel, which he had read. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. That is the one. I did not read the Straub novel, but uh, our uh, quality control uh, manager, uh, you know, Rennie, mm-hmm. likes the novel better. So Apparently, the novel fleshes a lot out, and there's more to it. When we say it's a little simple... It's kind of a revenge movie. It's a revenge ghost movie that you kind of you kind of see coming. No, right? I mean, uh, with with the lady. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but but it's it's doesn't mean it's a again. This is a good fucking horror movie in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. it's how they lay it all out, and I think the acting, and I don't know. In a in a in a way, like as I was watching it, because I, I actually watched this about two three years ago. I rewatched it. I watched it again this week. I was like, I wonder what this would be like with a modern, like a, a modern, you know, cast of older men of, of the acting world of today. You know, like who who would be in it? Uh, I, don't be even, I, I can't even visualize it, it actually, because I I've only <laughs> thought of this as being a film with these guys in it. Like Donald Sutherland was the first person that popped into my head, you know? I like, I, yeah. like you, you pick like classic actors of today and you, you kind of make a movie like this or, you know, redo it. But honestly, this movie doesn't really need a remake. But watch my two months from now, there's a remake of Ghost Story on the horizon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, who the fuck knows? But anyway, yeah, you're going to you're going to talk a little more about the plot. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing about this, too, is that there's most of this is is um the, the plot is portrayed through a series of storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, scenes. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, retro, retrospective storytelling, and that's how this plot gets all weaved together, you know? Mm. You know, of course, it centers around uh, the Chowder Society, which is uh, these four older gentlemen who they get together and they tell each other spooky stories at night, these tales of right. terror, you know? And... Uh, so they they do this on a regular basis. Uh, you get the sense mm-hmm. that these guys are, um, you know, lifetime friends. Yeah. Uh, of note, uh, this was the final movie for Fred Astaire and Douglas Fairbanks, and the final completed film for um, Melvin Douglas, who died four months before the movie was released. So oh, how man. about that? Damn. Uh, yeah. Uh, the only one left standing was Houseman after this movie was done. Wow. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember John Houseman was in the TV show Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder. He was the grandfather. And that was a little later in the 80s. This is like 81. I always remembered he was on that show. Um, but the thing is this. I feel like, I mean, I really do want to read the story now, to be yeah, completely honest with you. You know, because I would like to see some of the changes and I would like to see if there's maybe a, a little more meat on the bone aside from the plot. Um, so yeah, as Mike said, it's, it's the winter of 1979, small New England town for businessmen, 
uh, Ricky Hawthorne, Sears James, John Jaffrey, and Mayor Edward Charles Wanderley, he's the mayor of the town, are in this thing called the Chatter Society. They tell these scary stories weekly. Um, one of the fellows, Edward, has a son living in New York City who uh, dies. He falls from his apartment after he sees the girl he's been sleeping with suddenly turn into a living corpse in his bed. Uh, the other son, Don, played by the young Bill Maher, of course, <laughs> uh, comes home at his father's request. And sometime after his funeral, uh, he sees his dad just walking around through town in a snowstorm, you know, and he's calling out to, to his dead son. And he sees a female apparition and he falls to his death. And it's kind of like that's where the kind of the jump off really is. And it, you know, I feel like a, a seasoned moviegoer will see where this is going as far as, well, it's basically the ghost of th this woman come to take her revenge. But we don't know why she's taking revenge. We don't know why she's targeting these guys. But you can kind of, I don't know, piece at least the beginning of the story together pretty fast, right? Yeah, and and it, and the, uh, the the characters, the the, the Wanderleys, are really at the center of this whole thing, you know. Because we mm -hmm. got you know the dual role that Craig Wasson plays with Don and David. And, plays the two sons, yeah. Yeah, he plays the two sons, the one who dies, who falls to his death, and then the son who comes back later, and he right. tries and he to join the Chowder Society. He has to tell yeah. his own tale of terror, which and his tale is very interesting. Yeah. Because it involves a woman he met uh, again, Alice Krieg playing a dual role as well. <laughs> so I thought, like, interest. Like, um, look, the book. These are all individual characters. I'm imagining. Um, well, actually, no, that probably isn't true at all. There, there are also doubles, except for you know having him play both roles of the son. I mean, that's the only kind of weird move. Yeah. Because Eva Galley and Anna Mobley are the same person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But. Having um, Craig Wasson play both sons was interesting, right? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting move too. Like to have him basically have the, you know, it's like they're twins. Like they look exactly the same, you know. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, you know, definitely Eva and Alma are the you know, the same person. But so that makes sense to me. But yeah, it was an interesting move because you got because uh, Doyle is screaming like a banshee listeners. Um, my cat is pissed off. I don't know why. Yeah, I couldn't place what that was. I was like, Whoa, I was like, Oh, okay. What's going on over here? I thought something was going on in my apartment actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah. So we go back in time and Don is like an, he's a professor at some small school. I think that's in Florida, right? Mm -hmm. Somewhere yeah. in the South. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, and he, he's actually in a relationship mm -hmm. and then he, runs into Eva Gallup, mm -hmm. and, you know, he's completely smitten by her and uh, mm -hmm. sort of leaves his, uh, his, for his current girlfriend high and dry and this gets deep into this relationship with Eva that's this torrid sexual relationship. Quite a bit of nudity in this movie, too, I have to add. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, early 80s, uh, people didn't give a shit about that, <laughs> you know? It wasn't and, a big deal. You know, Alma wants to get like they. You know, quickly this thing escalates. They're in love. You know, maybe, maybe not. You know, <laughs> maybe he's enchanted mm -hmm. by Alma. And uh, you know, they there's plans to get married, and Alma insists that she wants to marry Don. 
in his hometown of New yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and of course Don is uh, reluctant to do that. You know, and uh, he notices that there's something that's not quite right about Alma. When he yes, t- she's very cold to the touch. A lot, listeners. Yeah. She's very cold. <laughs> yeah. Maybe too cold. A little you too know? cold. I mean, Florida. Yeah. yeah. A little too cold. Yeah. Mm. And uh, you know, Don breaks up with her, and that's that's their relationship's over. You know, and, and yeah. you know he's sad. He falls into this sort of morose, you know, depression, and um, he's you know he's remiss with his job he he's becoming he gets uh you know reprimanded at his job and you know and then it's he, he basically loses his job you know as a teacher and then we we learn don talks to his brother and guess who is hooked up with the brother <laughs> hmm i wonder who it could be yeah it, of course it's uh eva galley yes he's a, a, engaged uh, he desperately tries to warn his brother, and his brother scoffs, you know, at the warning. Um, and, well, hey, who commits suicide at the beginning of the movie, right, Michael? Hey, What, what you are know? your thoughts on this whole drama with the love triangle with his brother? What do you think of that? Weird, Here's right? the thing. <laughs> the ghost... Okay, spoiler alert. We're spoiling this 1981 film, listeners, okay? Uh, the ghost is trying as desperately as she can to fuck this family. And I don't mean in the good way, but in a way, maybe in the good way, actually. Uh, She's trying to, to, you know, kind of decimate the family. And she's going through both sons and she was trying to get to dad, which was why she was insisting upon the wedding, you know, uh, in New England, right? Right. But my question is this. She's a ghost. (laughs) Like... Can't she just get her ass up there and take care of business? Yeah, that's that's uh, uh-huh. that's why I think maybe more of this story is laid out in the book. You know what I mean? Yeah, like they, right. I was thinking the same thing about like, well, you know, this is she's a supernatural being. You know, she, does she need to? Get, get right. To her? I mean, look, there's. I'm asking a, a very logic based question to an illogical situation, right, Mike? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I think. I mean, there may not even be the answer to that in the book, but. Um, you know, maybe she needs the family member to kind of get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? There could be a whole host of reasons why she doesn't just get up there and take her revenge on the four guys, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's this very, uh, you know, convoluted plot element where, you know, there's all this, uh, subterfuge that seems to be going on, you know? So, yeah. So David, uh, well, Don shows the elders an old photograph uh, of, of a young woman who looks identical to Alma. Um, and and John has realized, you know, what's going on. John is, is one of the, the, the old gentlemen, right? Um, and he, what do you call it? Oh, yeah, let's see. John, who plays John? John Jaffrey. Melvin, the actor Melvin Douglas is the John character. He's pretty much pieced it all together. And he's telling the rest of them, like, hey, you know, this is her. She's back. And they all, again, he's rebuffed. Right, Mike? Yeah. And then, you know, the next day, John has a nightmare with Al- about Alma, actually. Mm-hmm. And he dies, and died. Of, dies of a heart attack. Yeah. So of the four elderly gentlemen who, who had the initial run-in with this woman that we don't know exactly what just yet, there are now two left alive of the four. Yeah. Uh, so and, and then, of course, you know. Young Bill Maher is, is still alive. 
here's the thing. I'm not sure. Look, technically, she shouldn't have beef with him at all. But again, I think it was just a means to fuck with the family and fuck with him and and get to the family. Like, you know what I'm saying? The whole lovey-dovey relationship with two sons was just, you know, a whole part of the master evil plan, right? Well, I think, like, maybe... Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, what we're coming out with that. But, you know, her them being the heirs of the older gentleman, Edward Wanderley, mm. and, and Edward is at the center of this whole thing, really. You know mm. what I mean? So maybe she wants a really... You know, the whole bloodline is like she's got a beef with everyone, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, John has died, and there are two left. And then it is finally explained to Don what really happened with this woman back in 1929. Uh, Doyle also wants to let us know what has happened in 1929. <laughs> Listen, um, he is pissed off. Okay. So they were all smitten with this young girl named Eva Galley, right? uh you know it's kind of creepy let's be honest Mike. it's real creepy creepy. and kind of like um this this plot element seems like something that would be in a film today because it really delves into like the the frailty of the male ego and toxic Mm -hmm. masculinity and like all that kind of stuff so they all managed to get to her house one night after they dropped her off and they come back because they all well they all want to hook up with her okay yeah um she likes Edward the most and she takes him to bed. But as it turns out, Edward cannot perform. Okay. Uh, the guys don't know that Edward can't perform. They actually think that he slept with her. Yeah, okay. Right. Uh, they leave and then they kind of come back and they're all drunk. And, you know, the, the other three kind of want to get what Edward got, even though Edward didn't get anything. Yeah. Right. It, and it, she started dancing very, with them. Very, mm. very rapey and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's part it's of rapey it. and creepy. Although we've definitely seen creepier and rapier, like way more, but this is, you know, pretty rapey and creepy. Well, the thing, um, the thing that kind of makes it uncomfortable is because you, you, I really like the older gentleman, you know what I mean? As the older guys, like yeah, the, the actual chowder like, society. You want to think that these are solid, you know, older guys. Like these are like you know gentlemen. But then you see, like in their younger days, you know, the real they creep, were scumbags, uh, right? Yeah, kind of yeah, right. Um, so you know they're drunk and they're talking to her, and she's dancing with one of them, and then she makes a comment about how Edward didn't sleep with her, and he gets enraged and he pushes her really hard and she bashes her head on this um what is like not a chimney like a you know she bashes her head near the floor but not on the floor and dies or actually she they think she's dead yeah yeah they think she is dead she appears dead by all counts she appears dead they all start bugging out you know they're all beside themselves and they decide to load her into the car and it, it is decided that she is to be kept in the car in the back seat and they're going to push her car into a nearby pond so they they do just that the four of them and as they're watching to make sure it goes down well she is alive uh even uh, you know she she sticks her head up and starts screaming and yelling as the car goes to sink and basically they i mean 
they didn't kill her the first time, but they killed her the second time, huh, Mike? Yeah, definitely. And and it's uh, you know, it, it's just that you, you kind of saw that one coming too, really. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That, oh, I bet she's not dead. But also, and, and, right. And now you kind of, as a viewer, you know why she's doing what she's doing. She's doing this for revenge against the four men that wronged her, and you know, took it out on, on also on the sons of one of the men that wronged her. Right. Yeah. And, and I can um, see why you know, like, because you know, Edward is, yeah, you know, kind of leads all back to him, really. You know. Mm. Well, now they're all finally on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> the three of them. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh, Don suggests they go to Eva's old house and confront the ghost once and for all. Uh, there, Don falls through rotting stairs where he breaks his leg. So Don is kind of out of commission for the next couple of scenes, right? Yes. Um, and then Sears, John Hausman, one of the men left standing, goes to his car to seek help. Uh, leaving Don and Ricky, the other final older gentleman, behind while driving through a snowstorm, of course. Sears comes upon Eva's apparition, and, well, he dies too. <laughs> His car crashes, right? And, um, you know, he, he is the, the, the third victim, of course, uh, of, of the revenge ghost. Um, let's see. What happens next, Michael? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, let's see. Here. Well, actually, no. He he swerved off the road, and according to Wikipedia, actually, he is killed by one of Eva's accomplices, Fenny Bate. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention those guys. <laughs> there's yeah. this, there's these like this older guy with a leather jacket and his and this young kid living in the house of that Eva used to live in. Yeah, this this is something I'm curious about. They don't really, they're they're implicated in this whole thing, but they're just kind of underutilized, and that leads me to believe that the novel probably right. Has it's more. something they didn't um they didn't get too into at all, actually. Right? Not really. It's like they existed only to kill Sears. Do you know what I mean? Well, here's the thing. In the in the in Eva's house, right. There are two escaped mental patients, Gregory and Fenny Bate. That, that's where it comes from. Yeah. And so that's why they become kind of her, you know, familiars, one could say. Yeah. I don't know, right? Yeah, familiar sounds like a good term for that, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, but it's funny, though, like, it, it's almost like when that happens, it's like, oh, there's that guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you forget that they're even part of the narrative until you right, show that's up what towards I'm the end, yeah, and and that's why I'm interested. I think I'm I'm going to make it a priority to read this book because I want to find out like what what the backstory is on all these guys. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing is, <laughs> Ricky again. Now the 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 final final elder gentleman, right? Fred Astaire. I'm going to call him Fred Astaire. He realizes that something has happened to John Hausman, um, but he <laughs> he manages to get to the uh, authorities and have them pull Eva's car out of the, the lake, right? Yeah. Uh, which is intercut with a scene of Don confronting the rotting specter of Alma Eva, you know, the ghost. Uh, they get the car out, you know, out of the lake and they, they wrench the door open. 
and the rotting corpse. I mean, I think the effects is pretty good. The corpse, you know, falls to the ground. It's like this very dramatic scene, right? Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, though. Would, would that be that intact after that much time? No, I hell mean, no. It would probably be just suspension barely... of disbelief there. Yeah, she's it like under, underwater. A skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, it would just be a skeleton. It's like this, this skeleton, this body has been underwater for like, what, like 40 years or something like that? Yeah. Um, no, 50 years. Yeah. 50 years, yeah. Um, and here's the interesting thing. It says, now the truth about Eva is known and Don is spared from her vengeance and the town is restored to peace. One of, the thing that I took away, though, is that is Ricky spared, uh, Fred Astaire spared because he went to the police and they pulled the car? Like, isn't he still like, you know, one of the four scumbags, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like, why that, did it have to end is my question. I, I mean, it would have made more sense if he got killed somehow. You know, he met the right. same end as everyone else because, you know, they've been, these guys have been living their entire lives basically with this, like, you know, this black mark on them, you know, and, um, mm. you know, this terrible secret that they're keeping. And it would make more sense to me that some, that he would also get the same, you know, he would be the subject of, of revenge like uh, the other, the other gentleman. But the one thing now I'm thinking is that because he actually finally, 50 years later, did go to the police and did pull the car out, maybe that broke the curse, right? Right, because going back to the flashback of them telling, you know, when the story is being told, that is something that was put on the table originally, was to go to the authorities. Mm. And everyone's like, no, you know, we, these are like young men. They're like in their early 20s, maybe. And um, yeah. Yes. You know, their lives are all ahead of them. They got careers, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, they all have like, you know, they all became doctors and attorneys and one guy became a mayor, you know, and that kind of thing. And, you know, successful hmm. men. And um, possibly there's like the concept that maybe their success, they shouldn't have been successful. They should have actually dealt with the consequences of murdering this young woman. Mm. so yeah listen they're all they're all rich old white men yeah you know, <laughs> you who, know? who got away with murder literally yeah you know so, right right so but maybe, i think you know, maybe ricky like you were saying at the end you know towards the end of his life he actually did the right thing by going to the authorities mm. i think that's closing the circle on the story right yeah yeah and who knows maybe he was even arrested afterwards i mean the movie ends but you know uh statute of limitations perhaps he was arrested um, and thrown in jail. Fred yeah. Astaire Could in be. jail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Don, yeah. Don is not, you know, he's the son, you know, so he literally, you know, he's the blood, uh, bloodline of, of Edward, but, you know, what, mm. it, it would be more like, uh, you know, vindictive to take revenge on him since technically he wasn't alive when she was killed, you know? Mm. Interesting. Um, so yeah, this, like we said, was a novel by Peter Straub and it was purchased in 1978 for uh, 225k from Universal Pictures. Um, pretty much the moment it was out, it was already going to be a movie. So how about that for Peter Straub? And so feather in his cap. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, the, uh, the screenplay, uh, urban Edition envisioned the narrative as being about hypocrisy and principally men's fear of women and at some point hatred of women. Hmm. I could see that. Um, yeah. I see that. Yeah, I totally see that. And uh, he wanted the film to look 
European in appearance and like a Christmas card. Hmm. I could see that as well, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the uh, principal photography was in Saratoga Springs, New York, and Woodstock, Vermont. Uh, and some of it was also shot in Union Station in Albany, New York. And the Florida scenes were in DeLand and New Smyrna Beach, Florida. See, man, this was back in the day when nine times out of ten, where a movie took place is where they went to film it, huh? Sure, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like in, you know, it wasn't shot in like Bulgaria or something like that. Like the, <laughs> the you know, <laughs> like Pearl and all that stuff. You know, we're going to shoot this in Montreal. Okay, <laughs> um, right? They, you know, they went all over for this movie. I mean, it's it's a very nice looking movie. Um, like I said, it wasn't a big hit. Uh, it was a Christmas time release for you know Universal. Uh, test screenings were in October, and it opened to wide release December eighteenth. Um, you know, took in almost 24 mil. It was the third highest grossing horror film of 1981 and the 34th highest grosser of 1981 overall. So I guess, you know, not chump change. No. Uh, 1982 was nominated by uh, Saturn. Oh, I'm sorry for the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. That was more of a big deal back in the day, huh? I think so. Yeah, you don't hear about the Saturn Award these days too much. You know? No, you do not. You definitely do not. Uh, made its DVD debut in 1998 from Image Entertainment, um, and then uh, re-released on DVD in 2004. Made its Blu-ray debut uh, in 2015 from Screen Factory, and I believe it is still in print uh, from Screen Factory. It's got some interesting extras. Uh, commentary with John Irvin, interviews with Peter Straub, Alice Krieg, uh, Lawrence Cohen, uh, a couple other cast members. Might want to check that out. No, have you read much of uh, Straub's work? I haven't read any of his books, to be honest. No, I have not read his works. I mean, he, I know he's kind of like he was kind of concurrent with King, right? At one point, well, they they collaborated on that that one uh, that one book. Like this kind yeah, of the fantasy. talisman. Yeah, the talisman. That's what it was. And uh, yeah, I, so he's the contemporary of Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I actually own a copy of that in hardcover, which I got like when I was a kid, and I still haven't read it. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I, I should pick it up one day and actually read it. Like I, I literally have had this book my entire life, and I haven't read it yet. Is that kind of think what are some of his other big uh, move, like big novels or big stories? Oh, he did The Black House in 2001 with Stephen King as well. Ah, okay. Uh, Talisman back in 84. Uh, Ghost Story in 79. He's got a few before that. Uh, nominated multiple times for the Bram Stoker Award, which is a, a very big deal. Um, but yeah, I think the last novella he wrote, according to Wikipedia, was back in 2017. Um, I mean, he's got a bunch of stuff out there, you know? Yeah. I would check out some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I want to check out the Talisman. Never read it. It's kind of a big book, and and also I'm, I'm definitely going to read this one, and that might be the gateway into his other material. I think reading the Ghost. Yeah, Ghost Black Ghost House Ghost. is the sequel to Talisman, actually. Oh shit! Okay. So yeah, his other Stephen King collab. Um, cool shit. Again, this is a really fun movie. Again, it's like a winter movie to shake off the heat of the summer you know yeah yeah definitely you know and then this one came by way of the uh you know the, the necrophone so this was a recommendation 
So, Mike, what do you give this on a necro scale of one to five? Well, despite some of the things that we pointed out about this, I think it's a great movie. I really enjoy the atmosphere of it, and I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Yes. I, you know, I, I, I was kind of in that neighborhood, and then I was like, well, maybe I'll give it a 4. But no, I, I actually give it a 4.5 as well. Um, highly recommended. It's rewatchable. Yeah. You know? Uh, it, it could be like a yearly, almost maybe November, December watch, to be totally honest. Um, they don't make movies like this anymore, do they, Mr. Hell? You know, like these big cast, big story, big location horror movies. I mean, it's a mainstream horror movie, but today's mainstream horror is like, you know, Evil Dead Rise. You know yeah. what I'm saying? This was mainstream horror circa 1981. It's It's a classy movie. I'll use that term yeah. for it. Yeah. We like classy sometimes here, folks. You know, yeah. we want to class up the joint. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a classy film. It's got quality acting in it. It has a really great atmosphere. Special effects are good. Uh, you know, there's a couple, of, you know, you, you, if you scrutinize the plot, there might be a couple of little holes here and there that, um, you know, according to Rennie, the book really fleshes things out in a much better manner. So I'm going to read the book and then I'll, you know, compare some of them, compare my notes, I guess. You know, I didn't see that 2000s movie ghost story that has like the, the cover, like the poster with just the skeleton with the glasses. Did you see that movie? I did not see that movie. I, oh. I've been heard it referred to as a hipster horror. I've heard all these weird things about it. I heard from some other people that it's actually very depressing. Huh. Um, I might want to check that out. You know what movie I'm talking about, right? No, I do. Because it's, yeah, I know. That I just never got around to watching it, actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. I must feel like it's something that we we may have thrown around maybe once on the show, like a long time ago, like when it came out, but yeah, we never got around to it. Interesting. Yeah, maybe hmm. we should revisit that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what are you reading lately? Mr. Hill, anything you read? Oh, anything? Um, I just finished, uh, the troop by Nick Cutter. Um, hmm. and I just got, uh, this is going to be reviewed on everything went black. Uh, grim scribe press. I just got a, a, a review version of the uh the, the kim towels uh new short story collection and uh oh nice i'm gonna be um interviewing her over at, at uh, everything went black and uh doing some you know review extras and things like that for it and uh yeah a lot of that grim scribe stuff the new uh issue of Bastarian, which is like a uh, collection of horror weird fiction stories mm, nice uh, yeah it's stuff like, you know that kind of thing the normal shit that i read well this is pretty weird uh i i've okay i i read most of alan moore's providence oh, yeah. but i never finished it okay so i have the trade and i i'm finally just gonna hunker down and finish it. I don't know why I never finished uh, it. Like, that's I that's fantastic, it. dude. Yeah, it's it, really fucked up. I remember liking it a lot. I think what happened was, honestly, it, it was right around the time of a move. And sometimes when I'm about to move, everything stops. Any collecting and read, like, because you're just, you're concentrating on just either getting rid of things or putting things to the side. And I think that's, I think that's exactly what happened with Providence. So I never finished it. And I think I still have a bunch of the single issues, but I went and just bought the trade for a decent price. So, yeah, I want to read the whole thing. 
It's creepy as hell. It's a listeners. good one, man. It's got Lovecraft in it. Mm-hmm. Actually, it literally has H.P. Lovecraft as a character in it. Um, yes, and they they decided that he is uh, a homosexual. In yeah. this, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, they do. They don't. They uh, yeah. they kind of like uh, you know uh, have him uh, portrayed in a very specific way. Uh, there's references to the King in Yellow and Robert yeah. Chambers and uh, mm-hmm. you know and all of the other H.P. Lovecraft uh, mythos characters make appearances in there too. Not all, but a lot do. But I just remember as I was reading it, because it's like, you know, it's set in, in like the 20s, right? Or the early yeah. 30s, or late 20s. And yep. it's just, I think Alan Moore, like, doesn't half step anything, oh, as no. they say. Um, it's like, as you're reading it, you're, you're very kind of like in that time period and in that era. And like, just all the, all the weirdness going on set against so long ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, you feel that, right? Yeah, Moore is is a real master storyteller, and like I I I love I pretty much everything I've ever read by Alan Moore. I've, I've completely loved going all the way back to Swamp Thing, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. And as I was tearing through Mad Men, as lo and behold, Freevee, which was I was where I was watching Mad Men for free, has got rid of Mad Men. Mad Men is now gone from Freevee. So I was like. In the middle of like season five, even though I've watched it literally four to Wait, five times. Mad isn't Men. that on Max though? No, Mad Men is now uh on just AMC Plus. Oh wow. The, the the pay the pay service. And it is on Amazon or Apple for a buck ninety nine an episode. Oh Jesus. Or you pay or you pay that one amount for the whole thing. But I may actually buy the Blu rays, man. I may literally just buy the fucking Blu ray set because I do love it. And I hate that it's kind of bounced around. At one point, it was on Netflix. At one point, it was on IMDb TV and then Freebie. And then at one point, it's just been on several services. But then AMC is like, you know what? Fuck you. This is one of our cash cows. It's just going to be here, basically. (laughs) So They say, fuck you, you pay me. (laughs) Yes, fuck you, pay me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's reminiscent of before HBO Max corralled everything off of uh netflix remember when a bunch of shit was still on netflix from hbo yeah that's right I remember. and then that. it just wasn't because they were just like nope you're a you're a competition now you know so yeah crazy shit and i may do the same for miami vice because oh, uh wow, some yeah. listeners may know i'm a miami vice fanatic um it is on tubi but i don't like how it looks on yeah. tubi yeah and you and got the commercials was, uh, cutting yeah, yeah i know and I know for a fact that the Blu-ray set of Miami Vice, not the DVD set, the DVD set does not look good in 2023 at all, but the Blu-ray set that is, you know, a bunch of years old does still look very good. Hmm, okay. So I may actually just get that as well. I should have HD. It's the only, it's the only one in HD. Like the DVD one was like, it's like early O's. Like it doesn't look that great. That's why I got rid of my Miami Vice DVDs. Looks like shit. I should, I should, revisit miami vice I haven't, I haven't watched that in years oh it's great especially like the first four seasons just yeah. gangbusters um gets very strange at the end but to me still good but it's it's not as strong um so yeah that, that's kind of what i've been checking out i'm a little lost in my joe bob viewing because fucking shutter is m- makes it impossible to figure out how to watch and where to watch that show well i mean do you have the app or do you watch it through amazon <laughs> No, no, I have the app, but 
Joe Bob is, it's not, there isn't a Joe Bob section. Oh, How you the mean, fuck is there not a Joe Bob oh, section? Oh, yeah, you mean, you, I watch it, I try to watch it when it airs, you know what I mean? So, yeah, if on, you, on Fridays. If you don't do that, you're kind of like, you're going to be, you're going to have to dig for it. If you don't watch it as it's airing, it is the pain in the balls. Oh, and by the way, it is not on the next day after, too. It's like two or three days later. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's really frustrating. Yeah, lately I haven't really been able to watch it live on Fridays. I've had stuff going on on Friday night. Right, that I'm right. Doing, but um, you know, like for this past Friday, I, I caught the last half of it or something like that. You know, what they do, listeners, and I'm sure some of you know, is it's it's individually by the name of that like special or like the name right. of the the theme, like. Why in God's name is in its own little hub where it's broken out in fucking chronological order? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. really? Yeah, like, right. come on, man. Come on. That can't right. take that much. How much can that take? I mean, I know they're down to four people working there at this point, but I mean, Jesus Christ, right? Yeah, they, may, they don't make it easy on you, that's for sure. No, nothing is easy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that, that's my, that is my, my Joe Bob shutter gripe, listeners. I don't know, some may agree. Some may think I'm an idiot for not being able to find it, but it's it it's hard to find the new shit. Very hard. Easy to find movies. You type in the name of the movie, but <laughs> if you want to watch that show and you missed it the the live version, it's a pain in the balls. <laughs> and that's that, Michael. And that's that. And thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll get at you next week. Everyone, take care. Be well. Take care. <laughs>
this is a great movie. It's a simple movie, but it's great because of the cast and the vibe. Ultimately, it's a very kind of simple horror movie, though, Mike. But we'll get into that. Yeah. 